It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time to continue our off-season roundtables. Next up on the roundtable, the guy that I constantly refer to as the smartest man in sports talk radio. And as I've said a lot of times, it's a blessing and a curse. Whenever he's on, I like to listen. When he's not on, a lot of times it's a bunch of people yelling and screaming, and that's not really my style. That's why I do podcasts, but I'm glad that we could kind of put the two worlds together today, and I'm able to get him on the roundtable to talk about what the Jets did in 2019, where they're going in 2020, and one thing that I've been curious to ask him about, I know he explained it on his show, but still I wanted to ask him about it here, his renouncing the Jets As his favorite football team That of course is Chris Moore Of CBS Sports Radio And WFAN 660 And 101.9 FM Chris thanks so much for coming on man Well Scott you know you throw me a bone in the open And you know I'm going to stick with you Right like that (laughs) you know you throw me that nice bone There's nowhere I can go but but, You know a friendly hug and away we go So let's get at it (laughs) Always a pleasure to have you on I love talking to you about the Jets And football in general or pretty much anything else But I wanted to know above everything off the bat, because generally I've been starting these roundtables asking about the coaching and the general manager and all that, but this year you finally had enough. You're a longtime Jets fan. You said, I can't take it anymore. I'm out. I'm done. It's over. Tell me about what went into that decision. You know, the last call was a weird one because it was when they had Sam mic'd up for the Monday night game, and I just thought it showed again that they don't get it. And over and over again, when you are convinced that your management team from the ownership on down doesn't get it, you know, I, I spoke to a group of kids yesterday at a high school. <clears throat> they asked me to speak about the business and all that. And uh, the piece of advice I gave them that I, you know, I haven't been always, uh, I haven't always been true to it myself, especially when I was younger. But when you're in a, a bad situation work-wise, you know, we've all been around guys that, bitch about their jobs or bitch behind the back of everybody about this thing and that decision. And why would they do that? And what's the matter with these guys? And they don't get it. And on and on and on. And, you know, it runs days into weeks, into months, into years. So I told them, you know, I said, one thing as you go on your internships here coming up and then get into college and all that, don't be the guy that's bitching about your jobs, either suck it up, fix it or get out. And you know, that that's it. And really that's, that's what took me away from my fandom. You know, I was taking my own advice. I can't fix it. I'm tired of sucking it up. I got to leave. Those are the choices I have, you know, and I didn't want to be hypocritical because I say it on the air all the time that you're not a hostage 
to the team you grew up with. You know, that's what they take advantage of is that we can do whatever we want. And you guys are so addicted to us, whether it's basketball, whatever the sport is, uh, that you will never turn away from us. You'll be angry at us and you'll call sports talk radio and write and, and, and call into the podcast and, and write letters or whatever, but you're not quitting us. So I had to put my money where my mouth was in my lack of faith in the Johnsons and in my lack of real belief that they didn't care as much about winning as I did. So instead of, you know, doing what most of us do, which is year in, year out, complain about things that we know they're doing wrong or that we assume they're doing wrong, uh, I just decided, you know, life's too short. The other thing about this that's important that people don't seem to grasp to me, Scott, is that you don't live forever. You know, the, the opportunities for this franchise or anyone that you root for to please you and make you happy and to compete at a high level so you're looking forward to games, and really that's what it's all about. We have a big game this week, and, and Jet and Giant fans in particular – you know, they haven't had big games. There's no big games to look forward to. They don't lose big games. They don't play big games. So as the years go by and you're missing out on these opportunities to have big games like the teams had this weekend, some of them won, some of them lost. But they were in big games and their fan bases were energized and they were ready. I'm tired of not being in that situation and thinking, regardless of where we pick, they don't know what they're doing. Guys were really ready to trade Darnold uh, for Darnold and give up two seconds. And when I talked to him on the air about why were you willing to give up two seconds to move up three spots when, you know, Josh Allen might have been there, you would have had him. On. They say, oh, we don't know how to pick anyway. Doesn't matter. Those two picks don't mean anything to us. We would have screwed them up. <laughs> I mean, that's the definition of, you know, that's the definition of, wow, you just don't believe at all. How can you root for this team? And, and you know, their draft record shows that. So it's a long answer but I wanted to make it a clear answer that when you lose faith in the people running the team and you see no light at the end of the tunnel that those people are leaving, then it's time to put up or shut up. I don't want to be the whiner all the time. You know, I'm tired of it. I'm sure a lot of Jet fans are tired of it. I'm tired of whining. I enjoyed the two years with Rex and Sanchez and all that. It was wonderful and it was uh, surprising and they had a pulse and they played with pride and, you know, we were proud of them, and you could see it in the way they played. It's a long time since then, and the hourglass is running out of sand. And so I just decided to, to switch and, and get out and stop worrying about what I couldn't control. Chris, I have some thoughts on that too, but first I want to tell you about the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. The best part is it's 100% natural, CBD-powered, and it works like magic within 10 minutes of application and relief lasts up to eight hours, much longer than any of the over-the-counter products you can possibly find. And if you want to try it out, which I highly recommend because I use it myself since I run a lot and I get a lot of pain in my joints and my back and my neck, I've got a special offer for you as a listener of Play Like a Jet. All you've got to do is go over to omaxhealth.com, that's O-M-A-X health.com, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get yourself 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on and free shipping. And even better, that promo code is good for a discount on 20% off anything site-wide. So go check it out. Pro athletes use it, and so do I, so you know it works. 
cryo-free CBD roll-on from Omax Health. Go to omaxhealth.com today, enter the promo code OVERTIME, get yourself up to 20% off plus free shipping, and get rid of that nagging muscle and joint pain today. Now, Chris, as I was saying, I've got some thoughts on your comments about fandom. When I was younger, I used to get so emotionally invested to the point where I would get angry at the decisions and I would pound my fist. But then as I got older, as much as the decisions that are wrong still upset me, I came to grips with the fact that, like you said, I'm not a hostage. I'm here of my own free will. And I'll continue to be here because... I'm somebody that's been going to Jets games for over 30 years. My father started taking me. It's something we bonded over. And so I'm here for better or worse. But I totally understand what you're saying because I think that a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that fans are shareholders when in reality they're customers. So the only thing that you can do, the only real power you have is the power of the wallet and the power of your time and attention. And as long as you keep giving it to them, they're going to keep doing the things that they're doing because they have no incentive structure to stop. As I was saying to Chris Nimbley from JetsInsider.com on the mailbag a few weeks back, the only thing that they'll notice is if you stop spending money, if people decided not to buy season tickets anymore, if people stop buying jerseys, if people stop spending their time watching the games and the ratings went down. That's the only power that you really have. Otherwise, you just kind of have to learn to accept it or, as you did, move on. So I guess that's more or less the same conclusion that you drew, that you were a customer, not a shareholder. Yeah, and remember that even if you're a shareholder, and I, I'm a stock guy, so mm-hmm. I can tell you, I sell shares all the time and move on. I mean, so even when you're invested and you believe in something, and sometimes it's a good analogy because sometimes um, you believe in the product, but you don't believe in the stock price. And other times, and the Jets would be this example if, if you were going to buy into them, you don't believe in the product, but you believe in the stock price. The jets are low right now. Nobody thinks anything's going to happen. Nobody thinks they're going to be any good. So this would be a time to invest in the jets and you'd be surprised because the bar is set so low. So it's really a matter of expectations looking at your, you know, at your lifetime. Do I want to continue to be miserable rooting for this team? And, you know, I'm assuming, unfortunately, because of management and because of the consistency of management, and some of the hires and the way they go about doing what they do and putting the mic on Sam Darnold was just dumb. It was just, it had no upside. I mean, we live our lives in risk reward. You know, it's what's the reward, what's the risk. And, you know, just one more example to me, the straw that broke the camel's back. So, you know, it's, uh, I still root for them. I still watch them. I still, uh, enjoy their games and root that I hope Sam becomes all that Sam, we all hope Sam becomes, but I have no faith that they'll ever be special because I think there are too many other teams that are much better run and will be in their way one way or the other. And anybody can stumble upon it after a while, but sustaining any sort of competitiveness, the way the Yankees have, they haven't won in 10 years, but they've sustained great competitiveness. Um, I don't see them sustaining competitiveness, so that's why I'm out. 
when it comes to ownership, do you think it's that they don't care about winning or that they just don't know how to win? Because I think the difference between the Mets and the Knicks comes into play here. I've always felt that Dolan cares a lot about winning. He's just incompetent and doesn't know how to hire anybody. Whereas with the Mets, I think it's mostly been about pinching pennies and they don't really care that much about putting a winning team on the field. I think the Jets, to me, are more in that Knicks category where they want to win, they're trying, they just can't seem to get out of their own way. Do you think that's fair? I don't know. You know, I, I think that it's uh, it's easy to say you want to be in good shape and then not go to the gym. You know, it's easy to say you want to be in good shape and then eat whatever you want. You know, I just don't see them making the kind of effort to get it right, especially like the big disconnect we have in sports, I think, is that we as ardent, avid sports fans believe that if we were lucky enough to own a team, that for sure we'd have great pride in it, that we would try to do it right, that we would do everything in our power to get it right, because we'd consider it an honor and consider it a way that we're looked at and perceived and we wouldn't want to be perceived negatively and we'd want to deliver, you know, when we're charging the money we're charging, et cetera, we want to deliver a really competitive product for you and at least give you a chance every year. And when we watch these owners and it's not just the jets, it's all over the place. We're often questioning how motivated they are. And, you know, when you say maybe they're just, you know, maybe Dolan just doesn't know how to do it. Find out how you're not an idiot. You didn't build this empire out of nothing. I mean, bring in people that will have, don't hire Phil Jackson, consult with them. I mean, find ways to, to improve what you're doing and analyze when you screwed up and you hired, you know, McCagnan and, and Idzik and, you know, the list goes on and on. What, what did we do wrong? Why were we fooled? Why, why, you know, why did we hire McAdoo and Sherman and then go to, to Shermer and then go to, to a guy like Joe Judge who looks like he has potential? You know, maybe they did figure some things out in between. Or maybe Judge is really good at press conferences and won't be a good coach. Who knows? But they certainly turned full circle. They didn't hire the same kind of guy again. So uh, I don't know about Joe Douglas, and we're all hoping for the best there. But, uh, you know, our feelings on Gase have not changed. I'm, you know, not really anything has changed on how I feel about Gase. Um, and I've said many times, and I continue to say, that don't tell me, you know, don't talk to me about a team that's one and seven and plays for its coach. This is not high school. It's pro football, and you either win or you lose. And when you're one and seven, you failed. I don't care what happens after that. You failed. You started one and seven. And their schedule next year is harder than this year, and no one wants to admit that. But just the travel alone and the, the track record of teams in that situation makes it very, very difficult. So, I don't know what they want. You know, I, I know that, uh, as we've seen with Jerry Jones, that win or lose, they drink the booze. You know, win or lose, they're making money. And they need fewer and fewer fans because of the shared revenue of television. You, as a fan, have become less important across the board in sports than you've ever been because the rights fees are so hard, high. And that's why you got a lot of load management you got a lot of things that you don't understand, but they're fine with it because, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't change their revenue stream enough. They'll make a lot of money one way and they'll make even more money the other way, but either way they're happy 
and that scares all of, all fans. You know, it scares all fans in all sports. That you know, that's why we have so much to talk about tanking now, because there's no indication that being in baseball seventy and ninety is that much better than being fifty five and one hundred five. And fifty five and one hundred five gives you draft picks and gives you an opportunity to get better faster. So you know, these are big topics right now in twenty twenty in sports as to how much owners want to win, how much they need to win. And a lot of it comes down to their internal pride. And I just don't see a lot of that in most of the groups in New York. You know, I don't see it from the Wilfons. I don't see it from Dolan. I don't see it from the Johnsons. Uh, and I think John Mara has it, but he seems to be over his head a little bit. Maybe he got this one right, but uh, he seems to be over his head a little bit. For a guy that grew up with his dad and all that, you'd think they'd be better at personnel than they have been. Uh, in recent times. So, you know, you always worry when it's a monopoly that they can do what they want. And I'm sure fans feel that way now that they are a monopoly. They do what they, do what they want. It's just like calls, right? I mean, we just live with the calls because they're a monopoly. Your choices are turn off the game or live with the calls. So as you say, as you grow older, you start to learn to live with the ineptitude, live with the bad decisions and live with the bad calls because it's sort of what you signed up for. Do you think pride plays a factor with the Adam Gase hire? In other words, Christopher Johnson went out there and told you he was bringing in a guy that was coaching to where football was going. He didn't care about winning Twitter. He cared about winning games. He had listened to people like Peyton Manning and not the fans. And then Gase comes in here, and like you said, they start out 1-7. and seven. Now they did win six of their last eight, and we can break that down, and we have many times. But the reality is that... Barring him going something like 1-15 in 15 or getting into a fist fight with Sam Darrell in the locker room, because of the fact that Christopher Johnson's own ego was in play here, the fact that he put so much on the line and staked so much of his own personal reputation to the Gase hire, that he was never going to admit he was wrong, even if it's clear to most that he was? Oh, I don't think that's ever a doubt. You know, that, that people, and we see it in politics, we see it everywhere. It is very difficult for people to admit they're wrong. And I'm not sure how that got worse. It's never been easy. Okay. It's never been something that people look forward to. You know, you don't look forward to going to the dentist, but you better go. You know, you don't look forward to getting uh, vaccinated and having shots, but you need them. So sometimes you have to embrace the uncomfortable. And I don't know why uh, they seem to have such a problem admitting mistakes and why they let them linger. I mean, clearly, the whole McCagnan thing, you, you can't, you can't overstate what a mistake that was. And only in a business like sports, where, as you say, we're not shareholders, we don't have any power. Uh, it's the only place where that would have even, I mean, it's the, the McCagnan thing is so emblematic of, of how inept they are at the top there that, everything else is going to go under a microscope because there's absolutely no defense for it. You know, you can talk about strange decisions and you can talk about hiring Adam Gates. I mean, which was a strange decision in many, many, many ways, but it made more sense than what they did with McCagnan as every, and I'm not going to go over it because this is a jet podcast. Everybody knows how it all played out, but man, you know, so when you do that, everyone's doubting you, Right. Brian Cashman makes the decision. I think he's going to be right. Even if I don't agree with it, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's earned it. And what we have with the Jets is the opposite. 
they make a decision and we assume it's the wrong one because they've earned the reputation of making the wrong one. So whether pride got in there or whether, um, you know, they just don't go to the right people, as you said, with Dolan, where they don't go to the right people to understand what they really want. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just tired of it. You know, I'm, I'm the, the months go by, the new season comes, you look forward to having meaningful games after Thanksgiving, you don't. And the next season comes and, you know, after a while it's, it wears you down, as you know, as every, everybody listening to this knows. We've alluded to Adam Gason. You recently had a really strong rant during a shift on WFAN, and you can check that out. I know I retweeted it on my Twitter, but it's all over the place. And Gase was the subject of the bulk of that rant. What bothers you the most about him? Well, in that instance, what bothered me was that he took the bait. You know, Manish likes to put the bait out there, uh, and he has an agenda. He likes to, you know, go the National Enquirer route and sell the sensationalism and either be very positive or very negative about a team that's very mediocre. And let's face it, mediocre is boring. So he needs to stir the pot, or as my friend Pete used to say, he needs to put the peppers in the gumbo, and uh, Manish <laughs> loves to do that. But you're the head coach of the Jets. You don't get in the dirt with a reporter uh, because you're mad at him. Because when you're the head coach in this league, you know, people don't care who asked the question. In Kansas City and Seattle and Phoenix and Denver, when they hear his answer about Le'Veon Bell, they hear his answer. Like, I thought, I'll tell you this right now, and I made this point on the air, but I thought it was great that when asked about Daniel Jones, uh, Joe Judge would not comment because it's a team. And he didn't want to say, yeah, I'm really looking forward with a young quarterback or you know, yeah, Saquon's one of the premier running backs in the league, and I can't get wait to get – those would have been easy things to say, and they would have soothed the fan base, and they would have said, yeah, see, he believes in Daniel Jones, and he didn't take that bait. He, he reiterated and gave the, uh, the picture to the giant team, as well as their fans, that this is a team game, and we'll evaluate everybody together, and I got nothing to say right now about Daniel Jones. I haven't seen him enough. And you know he's seen him plenty. But he wasn't going to go there because it wasn't a good idea. Didn't set him up for the team game that he wants to preach. And then you get the Le'Veon Bell thing, and you make something that doesn't need to be a story into a story because you let your ego and your dislike for the reporter shape how you're perceived. And shaping how you're perceived is one of the biggest failures of the New York sports teams. They don't understand how they are perceived in the public. And how that could be, I don't know. But they don't have anybody consulting them in that regard. They don't bring anybody in and say, should we do this? How will it look? How will, how will people look at it? How are all season ticket holders look at it? You know, what, what can we do to soften it? If, if we're doing something that we think is best, but we know they won't like, how do we soften that? It doesn't seem like, uh, Scott, they have any plan. That they just put stuff out there and let it hit, you know, the same way uh, McAdoo got in trouble with the whole Geno Smith thing and Eli Manning. They just sort of put it out there and then are shocked when people don't take it well. Well, that should be your consideration to begin with. That's who you're serving. You're in the entertainment business. You're selling tickets. You're, you're trying to get eyeballs on your shows and you're, Everything about you, you're getting people to buy your jersey. So you need those people to be considered when you're making decisions. And if you know they're going to be unpopular, then you need to present them in a way where 
you know, you're in the best possible light you can be. And they just don't seem to get that. They really don't. Do you think that Gase's stubbornness in not being willing to just overlook who is asking the question and the, I suppose you would say, feud between him and Manish was an extension of the way that he coaches because everybody can notice that he's very inflexible and he's somebody that holds on to grudges and he's somebody that it's very easy to get in his doghouse and then not get out of it. He'll give up on a player as soon as the switch gets flicked. All of a sudden, it's over for that guy. We saw it in Miami a couple of times where he shipped guys out. Do you think that all of that combined shows you a real look into what Adam Gase is as a head man, not just a play caller, but just the guy who is the CEO of the football end of the organization? It's where my pessimism comes from. Mm -hmm. But to your point, and you just voiced it for me, that you are voicing as a guy who's very inside and very much passionate about the team and represents a lot of fans yourself, you are voicing how he is perceived. Is he like that? It sure seems that way. He doesn't seem to care that he's perceived that way. And that's the way most of us look at him. And it shouldn't, even if he is that way, it shouldn't be that way. Like, don't give people with your track record the sense that you're inflexible. You haven't done anything in this league. You don't have the Bill Belichick, I'll do what I want. Yes, sir, Mr. Belichick. You don't have that. You don't have that. Most coaches don't. And, you know, the fact that he doesn't understand that, I think, you know, when, with the Mike McCarthy thing, having taken the year off, I think that would have been, if Gase was going to have any uh, future and any hope, in my mind, his best chance would have been to have at least a year off to evaluate what went wrong and to figure out how he can change to get a better result. And some of the cast-offs down there aren't helping him, the way Tannehill's playing, uh, the way a bunch of these guys who have left have played, the fact that no one's coming to his aid. He needed to, to try to make things better. And instead, that stubbornness you talked about seems to be who he is. And I think that that, in the end, because he isn't good enough and he isn't a good enough communicator, will be his undoing. And, you know, much like Pat Shermer and McAdoo and I think probably Mickey Calloway, I don't think they ever are head coaches again. And this, to me, will be Gase's last chance as well because he doesn't have for lack of a better term, the right stuff. A big part of the reason that Gase was hired was to work with Sam Darnold. And the general consensus is that Darnold got better in year two, but didn't get anywhere near as improved as people were hoping for. People were looking for that big leap in year two. And instead, he went from somebody who was a solid rookie to a slightly more solid second year guy. There was marked improvement, but not that big jump. What do you think has to happen for Darnold to get there in year number three? I think he's got to get out of the pocket more. Uh, he's got to run the football more to be a threat. I mean, everybody that watched this past weekend, I mean, my God, between the college game and the two games on Sunday, and, you know, even Lamar, who failed uh, this time around and, and failed for the second time, but he's still, I remind people, only 23. Um, the game is changing. The game is going horizontal. It's going more college-like. You don't have to like it. You don't have to believe in it. You can call me all the time, as people do, and say you'll never win with a running quarterback. And then you watch Russell Wilson play the other day, who almost carried his team all the way back against the Packers. And you realize that 
being elusive now is not a luxury. It's a necessity. You can't play. I mean, there's a couple dinosaurs left, but you can't really succeed year in, year out, sitting in the pocket in today's game. The players are too fast. You, you've seen the Niner rush. That's why so many people like the Niners over the Packers because they killed them the last time, and they killed them because Rodgers is older. And even though he is elusive and makes plays with his feet and did the other day again, he's still, you know, on a scale, not nearly as elusive as the quarterbacks in their 20s and the quarterbacks that are coming into the league each year and they're about to come into the league. So uh, I want to see him out of the pocket, more RPO, more uh, horizontal use of the field. And obviously, you know, we were all disappointed in in the whole Le'Veon Bell deal. And Le'Veon, as the last time we talked, you know, has been nothing but a, pretty much a solid citizen. I mean, you could take the bowling thing if you want to and make it into something. But, I mean, bottom line is going from the career that he had and coming here, you know, I mean, he really didn't. It, it was nice of him to come here, really, when you think about places he might have been able to go. Now, with that money and the fact that the Jets had the money, it may well have been a money decision. But bottom line is uh, he knew that there was going to be a project coming here. He may have liked Darnold, and he may have had the best hopes for Gase as an offensive coordinator. But he knew that they didn't have a lot of depth uh, anywhere else on the offensive side, that they haven't drafted well offensively, and that they got a long way to go offensively, and he came anyway. And they just didn't use him nearly the way everybody wanted. And that's another reason that gazes in some people's doghouse. You know, for me, it's more leadership. But for some people, it's what the hell is this guy doing? You know, how, how could he waste Le'Veon Bell? How could he waste this much of our cap? You know, I was all over the Giants for, not, for, for signing Eli for full money and then not playing him. The Jets, you know, basically, I mean, they didn't do the same thing, but they didn't come close to taking advantage of the money that they spent on the player they spent it on. So that part was frustrating too. But obviously they've got to be more diverse. They've got to be more unpredictable. And they've got to use the width of the field, which is 2020 and this decade's football in the NFL. you got to move. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. How much do you think the combination of the early season mono, Adam Gase's strange play calling and leadership, and the terrible offensive line played into the fact that Darnold only minimally progressed this year? I wish I knew that. You know, I think that that's what every Jet fan is asking. You know, would you trade Josh Allen for Sam Darnold? Um, Would you, like somebody asked last night, how many NFL teams would trade their quarterback today for Joe Burrow. And your listeners can just ponder that. I don't have an answer, and I don't want to go over the whole thing or take up the whole podcast. And plus, your opinion is fine. Whatever your opinion out there is, you know, it's fine. But the point was, and, and it's a good point, that uh, there's a lot of people unhappy with their quarterbacks. And even at the end of now year two, outside of the fact that Josh Rosen hasn't played, Baker Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, and even Lamar Jackson, who's probably the MVP. But there are always going to be doubters about his style of play as it, as it relates to the playoffs until he has success. So, you know, it, it's interesting because here we are two years later, and we really don't know. We really don't know. But I'll say this. The Bills are getting more out of what Josh Allen does well than the Jets are getting uh, out of what Sam Darnold does well. Sam Darnold having only 200 rushing yards is not, uh, even with the, the mono-missed games, is not acceptable. And, and again, I hate to be, I mean, I don't hate it. It just is a fact, but it's unfortunate that I have to do it. It was a very easy schedule, okay? You're not going to get a schedule like that. The NFC East was horrible. There wasn't a lot of pride being played against them. There were non-competitive games. They did well late, but they played a lot of teams that, you know, didn't need to win. That Oakland win was a nice win. Uh, obviously, the Pittsburgh uh, situation was good. Dallas turned out to be a half-assed team again. So, you know, it's okay. I mean, it's fine, and it's better than losing. But I don't think it tells you, and this is true across the board, I don't think what happens in December of the prior year in pro football means a damn thing when it comes to September of the next year. And I don't care if you go 4-0 and or 0-4, I feel the same way. You're not really building anything. You want your quarterback to be better. I don't know what they're going to do with Robbie Anderson. You know, they got a lot of questions. I mean, they got a lot of questions on both sides of the ball, but we know that if they don't upgrade offensively in a league that is really rewarding offense and rewarding excitement, and your boy Joe uh, Caparoso, he put out there the – you know, the, the rankings offensively and defensively of these playoff teams. And you see it's the, it's the dominating offensive teams that are way ahead playoff-wise of the dominating defensive teams. Uh, that's just the way the game is played now. You know, and I laugh when they, um, 
I mean, who gives longer answers than I do? I don't think anybody. I laugh when they have the uh, flip, the coin flip, and people try to say for overtime, and people try to convince me that it's fair. And then I ask them, okay, if it's fair, then why doesn't anyone ever choose defense? I mean, if it's fair, you know, choose defense. Stop them, and then you get to win the game automatically with a field goal. Choose defense. Well, they don't do that, and that's why I don't think the coin flip is fair because the league is tilted toward offense, and the Jets have been very slow to add to their offense, to add to their line, to add to their receiving depth. Uh, yes, they got unlucky with uh, Anunway's injury early last year, and you know that hurt them quite a bit. And uh, but I mean, it's just it's just they're just another team until they're not, Scott. You know that that's the problem, especially offensively. They're just another team. No one, no one fears playing them. There's nothing to worry about playing the Jets. And that's on Gase, and it's on Joe Douglas to fix. You need to be scary, right? You need to be a little scary. I mean, Mahomes is scary. Deshaun Watson is scary. Lamar Jackson is scary. You need to be a little scary. You need to be, you know, oh, God, Devontae Adams and Jones and Aaron Rodgers. That's freaking scary. They could beat us in any given play. So the one thing that you really want to see them become is, is electric, right? And right now they're on battery power. They're not electric. I think with Darnold, what he's shown is that he's not going to be the reason that the Jets don't win games. He's not going to be what holds them back. But the question is, Agreed. can he get to that next level where, like you said, he's like a Russell Wilson, almost like a human tow truck pulling the Jets across the finish line. And if he's going to get to that point... As you said, they've got to surround him with weapons on offense, but they've also got to have a strong enough defense to make sure that if Darnold puts points on the board, that the other team doesn't come back and put even more points on the board. So that test goes to Joe Douglas to build this roster. Where are you at with Joe Douglas right now? Uh, I think we're all the same place, uh, cautiously optimistic, which is where we want to be, You know, which is where Giants fans are with Joe Judge. He had a great press conference, great. And if I was a Giant fan, I'd be cautiously optimistic based on how well he handled that. Whereas we were, you know, at least I was, and I know you were, and many people were pessimistic when Gase took over because he had nothing to hang your hat on. Joe Douglas has some things to hang your hat on, as Joe Judge does in terms of the way he runs things and the things he says. So, look, Joe Douglas hasn't been in this spot. I mean, I'm always nervous about that part of it. And I don't like to make any assumptions, but I do believe, you know, the point you made is true, but let's score points first. You know, I mean, I get it that if you lose 38, 35, you still lose, but let's get to a point where we are an electric offense and where you're getting the most out of your quarterback because he's confident in what you're calling and who he has on the field with him. And then you can really judge Sam Darnold when you're proud of, or at least, feel confident with the people around him. I, I think it's still patchwork. It still doesn't feel prideful to me. It doesn't feel like they're any different than most of the other 32 teams that they you know, throw them all in a blender, pick some guys out and go play football. They need to become something that, you know, that is internally um, confident internally with a little swagger offensively. And will he rise to that occasion when he's given the assets? Uh, 
That's what Joe Douglas has to find out. So if I'm Joe Douglas, I'm going all offense. I'm with Caparoso on this. I'm, I'm really after trying to be and, – and plus, Greg Williams did a lot with a little. So Greg Williams is a better patcher, and defense is a little bit easier to patch than offense. Offensive skill players, like offensive skill players in basketball, you know, they either are skilled or they're not. And you need to go get as many of them both in the line and at the receiving core as you can get and, and put him in a position where you really can judge him because those other excuses aren't there. Um, you know, teams are always going to have excuses. So you can talk about this year it was mono and, you know, Gase being in his first year and new system and all that. Those, those never go away. It's, it's a matter of, you know, can Sam grab some swagger and can Joe Douglas make him feel like, okay, they've helped me. They've put me in a position where I can succeed. Now I'm going to grab the bull by the horns. And that's what we're all waiting for. We're waiting for him to be in a position where we can really judge him. And I think most judge fans, uh, most Jet fans, are waiting for a time where they can really judge Sam Darnold. I just think I think most Jet fans are still somewhat undecided on Sam Darnold's future, and a lot of that future may rest with Joe Douglas and how well he can stock that offense, which has been among the dullest and among the least innovative in the NFL. Which type of pieces do you think that Joe Douglas needs to add to stock that offense? I think he needs speed on the outside. I mean, I don't know what Robbie Anderson, you know, I don't know what they're willing to pay Robbie Anderson. I don't know what I'd pay him. You know, no one ever said this was easy. It's easy to criticize. It's easy to sit and do talk shows and, and give your opinion and be a caller or podcast host and give your opinion. No one said it was easy. If it was easy, there'd be more Belichicks and Popoviches, you know, and fewer guys that are just coaches. It's a hard, hard job, and it's a hard job for general managers. So I want to make that clear before I make it sound like, oh, it's easy. Just do this, this, and this. It's not. But uh, speed is obviously something, whether you watch, you know, if you watch this weekend, uh, all the elements of 2020 and what I believe will be 2020 to 2030 football were on display this weekend. So if you watched any of the four games or the college game, you're looking for playmakers. I think the kids at LSU – like the Joe Burrow question, right? He's going to get drafted probably one to the Bengals. I was sitting there last night saying to myself, so much of this is these great receivers. These receivers are awesome. They go up and get the ball, and he throws such a catchable ball. So it's a receiver deep draft. I would take advantage of that, and I would try to get you know, more unpredictable, which means you need some talented players, and you need some talented play calling. So there's a lot on the plate here, but you need speed in order to make it work. It doesn't work without speed. So they need to get faster and more dynamic and more athletic. And we all have a hard time judging offensive talent. So Joe Douglas has to do that for us. That's his job. We have to pat him on the back and say, wow, great pick. But I, I know that all Jet fans, and, and you, I'm sure you agree with me, are very tired of going through rounds two, three, four, and 5 and having nothing to show for it. You cannot win. You know, we, we can spend all day talking about Gase and Darnold. And if you can't draft rounds two through five at a reasonable level, at at least an average NFL level, you will not succeed. The rest of it is all window dressing. 
you will not succeed. So Joe Douglas got a draft, really good players, and if I was him, I'd go offense. I think the league is going offense, and I think you're more likely to win 38-35 than you are 17-14. So I guess that means you wouldn't want to trade Le'Veon Bell then. I I have to, you know, I, I hate that they don't communicate the way they, I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me. And again, when you're in a monopoly, they can do whatever they want. We just have to sit here and take it. But it doesn't make sense to me that they're not, that the clarity level around that organization is not better. And it it worries me. Like, you know, there, there are telltale signs. I'll give you a quick example. Carlos Beltran decided in his November press conference to say nothing about the sign stealing and to, uh, you know, to say, well, I, I had nothing to do with that. I, you know, that, that's not, that has nothing to do with me. Now he had to know, he had to know that eventually there was going to be news out of there and it was going to reflect on him and he was going to have to backtrack some. And yet he said it anyway. To me, that worries me as a Met fan, not because of the fact that he was involved in the cheating. That's another issue and that'll bother some people and that's fine. But the fact that he lied in a position where he knew it might come back to bite him is problematic for me because he's going to have other chances to make decisions like that. And if he makes this one now, what's he going to do the next time? And that's the same thing with gay. So that's why sometimes your pessimism is built in by how a guy reacts in those situations. And the same with Joe Judge. Why are we throwing flowers at him? Because he was the opposite. He inspired optimism at his press conference and in his press talks and and on his feet. When he was asked questions, he reacted well and reacted in a positive way, and we could all see ourselves playing for him. So whether that has any value down the road, you know, whether he can manage a clock or or come up with a Sunday game plan or hire the right assistants, none of that was clear in his press conference. But what was clear is that he's going to last longer than Gettleman. I could guarantee you that. He's not going the Shermer route. Uh, you know, the next guy to leave there will be Gettleman because Joe Judge gets it. Whether that's enough or not, we'll find out over time. But I, I'm, I want Bell to be happy here, and I want Bell to not to be a distraction. I thought he handled it great this year, and I think he has more left. But as I said, what really frustrated me about this season uh, was that I don't feel like, and, and I want your opinion, you know, actually I want to be the interviewer in this case. I don't feel like I learned enough about the Jets. I don't feel, especially offensively, I learned that Greg Williams can, can piece together a defense well enough to, you know, to, to bring the best out of some players that we didn't know were, were that good or that had that much potential. But offensively, I didn't, you know, for playing 16 games, I don't know a hell of a lot more. I gained respect for Robbie Anderson, who I doubted more than, uh, than I had. Obviously, Griffin was good when he was in there at tight end. You know, I didn't know about him or what he would bring, but I really don't feel I learned very much, as you said, about Darnold, about how Le'Veon Bell fits in, about how well they could use the tight end when they were healthy, if they get him healthy next year, whoever, you know, whoever's in that spot or sharing that spot. I just wish I'd learned more in 2019. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like you learned as much about the offense as you hope to? I think you hit on a couple of things in one shot. Darnold, how much did we learn about him? We learned the same thing that we learned last year in a lot of ways, which is that 
he's capable of showing you greatness, but can he sustain it? He was kind of a roller coaster ride in year one, a little less of a roller coaster ride in year two, but still a bit of a roller coaster ride. Plus, you throw in the mono, and now you really don't know how much of that was lingering. You've got the offensive line. So, how much of the offensive line being terrible was to blame for what we saw with the offense? How much of it was other factors? Obviously, the offensive line was certainly one of the biggest ones. But if you put an average offensive line in there, what would this offense look like? I don't think we know that yet. And then again, with Gase, the one thing that you can say is that while you may say the jury's out on what he could do with the Jets, we saw what he did with Miami in three years. And so that factors in here because you have that body of work that you can evaluate on. It's a little bit different when you're talking about somebody like Sam Darnold. The question becomes, though, As you said, Chris, with, say, Robbie Anderson, if they bring him back or they add another weapon or two and they're able to get even a league average offensive line, what does the offense look like? Because Robbie Anderson was getting open a lot downfield, but Sam Darnold didn't have the time to get him the ball. If Robbie comes back and the offensive line is better and Darnold has the opportunity to go deep, does that result in a lot of huge plays? Or do we see a stubborn Adam Gase veer away from that? So there are so many questions that need to be answered in addition to all the new players that we assume are going to be brought in here. And it's going to be a fascinating thing to check out this offseason. Like you said, it is, as they say, nut-cutting time now for Joe Douglas. This is where he's going to really start to earn his money because he did some things here and there when he came in, but the bulk of the work was already done. The draft was over, free agency was over, and that's where GMs really earn their pay. And so now Joe Douglas goes into his first free agency as a general manager, his first draft as a general manager, and now we're going to find out if he can make that leap from the guy who is a super well-respected number two guy to a super well-respected number one guy. And if he's able to put those pieces around Sam Darnold on offense, then we'll be able to get a lot more answers to those questions that you were talking about and really learn about what this offense can be. Because even if you have a league average offensive line, if you give Darnold a couple more weapons and he's fully healthy, we'll have a much better idea of where this team is headed over the long haul, I think, in addition to just 2020. Chris Moore, one of my all-time favorites on Sports Talk Radio, as I say, smartest man in sports talk, blessing and a curse at all times. <laughs> but I'm really glad that he was able to come on the show and talk some Jets with me. Chris, I hope that we can keep doing back and forths like this. I'm happy to join you on the air pretty much any time, although now that you've renounced the Jets, you're probably not going to want to talk about them as much. Before you go, though, I want to pick your brain on this weekend's championship games. Who do you see going to the Super Bowl? You know, I root for the Packers now, but I, I don't know how they beat the Niners with that rush. I mean, it, it's just... Um, and the Packers had such a weird season where they just were sometimes so bad. And some, and there, there's a lot of that. I mean, they were great against Minnesota uh, and the Monday night game a few weeks ago. And then, you know, they were terrible against Detroit and lucky to win the game. And then Minnesota, which was terrible against the Packers, went down and beat New Orleans. So, you know, there's a lot of inconsistency. We look at our Jets and we say, oh, you know, but, but there's a lot of it. We just focus on our team. So that's part of it. I like the uh, I like the Niners at home. I don't know how you how you really cannot like the Niners at home. And the other one's interesting, isn't it? It's the old sports axiom: the hot team with Vrabel getting them to believe, and they are, you know, they are more of an amateur story than a pro story right now. I think they have that amateur fun sort of we got nothing to lose and we'll play you anytime, anywhere type of attitude right now. That makes them dangerous. And obviously, Derrick Henry, old school football. 
but Kansas City, off of the scare and off of being down like that, I think they come out guns blazing. So I think we're going to get what we want. I was hoping we'd get what we want with Kansas City-Baltimore. We didn't get it. But uh, I do think we're going to get it in the Super Bowl. I think it'll be Kansas City-San Francisco. Would be a very, very interesting Super Bowl and a very different Super Bowl. I'm just glad that the Patriots are not going to be in it this time. I can't tell you how relieved I am to not have to watch them on Super Bowl Sunday. I think everybody feels that way. I want one prediction from you. I want to know Bell and Anderson on the 2020 Jets in August or not. Ooh, that's a tough one. I could go either way. I know way. it is. That's why I asked. <laughs> and plus, I wanted, I wanted to prevent you from asking me. I know we're at the end of the interview, so if I ask it first, then I don't have to answer it. I think you're much more likely to see Le'Veon Bell here than Robbie Anderson, only because I don't know what the level of interest is going to be in Le'Veon Bell. And on top of that, the Jets would have to eat the contract. So if you're looking at a situation where you're going to have to eat a significant portion of the contract and get very little back in return, I don't know if that's something that Joe Douglas will be willing to do. With Robbie Anderson, it's going to be a matter of whether or not the Jets pony up because from all I'm hearing, it looks like he wants the most money. And it makes sense because he was an undrafted free agent, so he hasn't really had an opportunity to cash in yet. And as you know, Chris, football is a sport in which most guys only get to cash in once anyway because of the nature of how violent the game is and how short careers are. So I think if the Jets are willing to give him the most amount of money, he'll stay. If not, he may be tempted to go elsewhere. Remember, you've got Philly looming. They tried to get him twice, and he went to school at Temple, so he's got roots there. And speaking of Temple, the Carolina Panthers could use a receiver, and his old college coach, Matt Rule, is in Carolina now, so that's another possibility. So Robbie Anderson is going to have no shortage of suitors. I think if the Jets are willing to give him the most money, he stays. If not, he goes. And I think with Bell, if they're able to find a decent trade partner, they'll probably trade him. But I think it's more likely that they're not able to do that and they have to try and find a way to make it work in 2020. That answer is extremely logical. I would have given basically the same answer, that it makes more sense that way. So I can't add to it. Well done, my boy. Well done. (laughs) This is what happens when you listen to Chris so much. The logic just seeps into your brain. Chris Moore, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For people that want to interact with you on social media, read your thoughts, not just on sports, but stocks. you got a lot of interesting thoughts on stocks as well. And if they want to listen to you on CBS Sports Radio and WFAN, how can they hear you? How can they follow you? Well, at more to say on Twitter, M-O-O-R-E-T-O-S-A-Y, and both CBS Radio uh, and uh, WFAN have websites which will tell you what the <laughs> weekly schedule is. I do a lot of fill-in work, so uh, this week I'll be on Saturday uh, in front of, uh, what do we got this week? I don't know. I think Gary and Jody are coming on and doing a show after me, so I'm 10 to 2 on Saturday morning uh, on the fan, and uh, I'll be on CBS a little bit, and I'm on most Saturdays, I think, for the next few weeks, so... I look forward to breaking down the games and and talking to the fans, and it's always fun. And, Scotty, you're the best. It's always good to talk to you, bud. Chris, right back at you, man. Make sure you're listening to him this weekend on WFAN on Saturday. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.